So we're looking at Romans 15 um, again today. We're in the second half of the chapter um, from where Steve left off last week. Uh, and if you've looked at the programme, you might have seen that our subject heading today is Paul's desire to reach more Gentiles pushing beyond for the sake of the gospel. That's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, if I was going to give my talk a different title based on just the first two words of the subject, that is Paul's desire, um, it would be the heart of the Apostle Paul. That's what I'd like to focus on today because there is nothing more important in your life and mine to God than our hearts. We can see um, an example of that in the Old Testament, can't we? The famous example of, um, of David. On the outside, he was a good-looking guy, uh, as it says in 1 Samuel 16. Um, but at the time he was anointed to be king, he was just a, a young shepherd. Uh, he, he didn't look like someone worthy of becoming the king of Israel. But what did God say about him? It's recorded in Acts 13 that God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So although his outward appearance wasn't half bad, it still was his heart that was the most important thing to God. As God said to Samuel just before he anointed David, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the hearts. Now let's think about Paul. Was he another good-looking, talented guy? Um, was he the kind of person that people wanted to be like? Probably not. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul reflected on what people had said about him, um, saying that, um, or he wrote saying that um, people said his letters were weighty and forceful, but in person he was unimpressive and his speaking amounted to nothing. We live in a world which is obsessed with image and self-image, don't we? Uh, how people are seen by society and how people see, um, see themselves seems to be all important. But the Lord, he doesn't care about what we look like on the outside. And he doesn't care about how many likes we have on our social media and, 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 and so on. He cares about what we are on the inside. He looks at our hearts. And when we consider the life of Paul, we could easily imagine God saying the same thing about Paul as he said about David. We could imagine God saying, I have found Paul, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. Do you think he would say the same thing about you and me? So as we go through today's passage and as we think about the heart of Paul, just keep in mind that no matter how other people see you, and even no matter how you see yourself, with a good heart, you can be everything that God is looking for. 
Let's read our passage now. We are Romans 15, and we're going to read from verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet, I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the, of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about me will see, and those who have not heard me about who have not heard will understand. That is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, and that you will assist me on my journey there, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem, in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among God's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task, and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the, Lord's, by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. I'm going to put the qualities of Paul's heart into three categories, three types of hearts. Paul had a priestly heart, he had a glorifying heart, and he had an ambitious heart. And we're going to explore together what each of those, those means. So firstly, what do we mean by a priestly heart? Verse 16, we read that God had given him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. The word which is translated as minister there is a bit unusual. 
It's not one of the Greek words that we usually see translated into English words like servant and minister and, and uh, even deacon. And to be fair, Paul does use the other words um, at other times to describe his service and the service of other people in the church. But the fact that he uses this word even once to describe himself tells us something about how he viewed his service for the Lord. Because the word that he used usually refers to the highest order of service. In Romans 13, it's used to describe how the governing authorities are God's servants on earth. In Hebrews 1, it describes the service of angels. And in Hebrews 8, it describes the service of the Lord Jesus himself as high priest in the sanctuary of heaven. It's the origins of the English word liturgy, a word which in English um, is often used to describe the and the formal rituals and religious services and public worship of many uh, denominations, liturgy. And I think the point here is that in Paul's heart, he saw everything that he did as a sacred act of worship, as part of his priestly duty. And we know that his life as a Christian was often rough and grubby, uh, he had long journeys, um, prison cells, he was often threatened and beaten up, uh, rejected by the Jews and even by many in the church community. But despite all those hardships, he saw himself as a priest in the temple, performing priestly duties, finely dressed in priestly robes. He saw the results of his preaching as like him offering up the souls of believers um, as an offering <coughs> acceptable to God. You know, it's often said that how we view ourselves determines how we live our lives. So if we can see ourselves as more than just believers and more than just sinners saved by grace and more than people who perhaps at times um, think that there's not much that we can give, um, if we can view ourselves as priests of God and our lives as a sacred service, then we'll be more readily um, able to be what Paul urged in Romans 12 and 1, our whole lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is the essence of true worship, isn't it? True and proper worship. Far more so than we ever do on a Sunday morning or in any other church service. It's the worship of a priestly heart every day of the week. So Paul had a priestly heart. That's our first category of heart for Paul today. Let's move on and think now about Paul's glorifying heart. Taking that from verse 17, uh, we've read this already. Um, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Paul was a boaster. Uh, and I guess we've all probably known people who boast, um, people who um, always seem to be full of themselves and always keen to tell others about what they've done and what they've achieved. And maybe we've all done a little bit of that um, at times. But Paul's heart and Paul's boasting 
was different because the focus of his boasting was always on what God had done through him. Not what he had done, but what God had done through him. We do find the word boast quite a bit in Paul's writings, um, but Galatians 6 and 14 gives us the context of that, of, of his use of that word. Um, always, uh, he, he says in that verse that, may I never boast, may I never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one way that Paul made sure that people knew that his achievements were God's work and not his was actually to boast about his weaknesses. Um, 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12, we don't have time to look at that today, but if you're interested, have a look at that passage, those two chapters where Paul explains at length basically how rubbish he is. And yet he's able to boast about what God has done through him. So for Paul, the focus of his heart was always to give glory to God. Yes, he did often talk about the things that he'd been involved in because he wanted to inspire other people to do the same, but he always made it clear that these were Christ's accomplishments, not his own. So Paul achieved amazing things, didn't he? Not bad for a, a slightly odd-looking um, guy who was better at writing than speaking and who had a somewhat tainted history in that he was someone who persecuted the church and he wasn't even regarded as a proper apostle by, by many people because he hadn't been with the Lord in the same way that the, um, the first apostles had been. But I think that's an encouragement. It's an encouragement for all of us, um, more so um, if we've ever thought that we've got nothing worthwhile to contribute. You don't have to sound and look like a somebody to be great in God's sight. If we let God work through us and if we give all the credit, all the glory uh, to God, he can do amazing things with our lives. Our lives might not be amazing by the world's standards, but like the proverbial pebble dropped in a pond, God's work through us, even in the smallest of things, can become that ripple that um, goes out throughout the whole of the world and, 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 and certainly down to future generations. And that brings me to verse 20 um, and the third category of Paul's heart, Paul's ambition. He had the ambition to do amazing things, amazing things for God. He had an ambitious heart. Ambition is one of those things, I think, which can drive someone to achieve whatever they want to achieve. Whether we view that ambition as a positive or a negative thing, um, I think depends, de depends on what we're trying to achieve and, and, and why. And, and we might also take into account the cost of that ambition. Um, what things did a person sacrifice in order to, to get what they want? Um, I think we can say when we consider the immense value of Paul's work, um, down through the centuries and to us today as we study his writings, like on occasions like now, that his ambition was definitely worth his sacrifices, wasn't it? Now Paul's ambition, what was in his heart, was very clear and specific. Firstly, although he did of course preach to Jews, his focus was on the Gentiles, as he says in verse 16, which is quite extraordinary really, 
if you think about it. Because you would think, you and I would think, um, that um, with all his experience and qualifications of the former Pharisee, that actually he would have been much better suited for a ministry to the Jews. But then again, maybe it was because with all his Jewish credentials, he was much more effective at persuading Jewish Christians that the Gentiles should be accepted on equal terms, which of course is what, uh, an awful lot of what Paul's been writing to the Romans about and that we've been looking at through our, our study over the last um, few months. Whatever the reason, we don't doubt, we don't doubt that Paul was the right man for the job, do we? Because it was God who chose him and appointed him to that task. So Paul was appointed, was called to a ministry to the Gentiles, but Paul went further, didn't he? He didn't just do the work that God had given him to do. He was ambitious in it. He wasn't content just to preach to Gentiles in local towns and villages. His ambition was to take the gospel to the whole world. He wanted to take it to places where the gospel had never been heard before. Verse 20, I think we saw that, didn't we? It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. He wanted to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, you know, it can be the same for us too. There are things that we are clearly called to, like telling those in our day-to-day -day lives about our faith, um, always being ready to have an answer for the hope that we have, um, 1 Peter 3. So there are things that you and I are, are definitely and very clearly called to, but there are also other things which we might call ourselves to, passions, um, influenced by our higher calling, but nevertheless things that come from our own hearts. And that's okay, isn't it? That's, that's more than okay, actually. It's, it's, it's what God wants. He wants us to be ambitious in serving him and to develop passions for service in whatever areas have touched our heart. By the way, it's an important, um, an important thing to note about Paul's personal ambition, especially this bit about going beyond to um, faraway places, is that it didn't override his other responsibilities and um, like his pastoral care for some of the established churches. And as we read at the end of our passage, the bit about him going to Jerusalem with that gift from Macedonia and Achaia. He still had responsibilities that he knew that he had to fulfill, as well as the things which he regarded his personal, his personal passion and, and, and ambition. And, and it's important, isn't it? Whatever our ambitions and passions are in Christian service, um, or any part of our lives, um, it's important that we don't let them consume us. That, um, that, that, that we can be doing the right things and for the right reasons, but there's always a risk that we can become so focused on that that we let other th important things go by the wayside. So we need, to be, we need to be careful about that. Why Spain? Anyone got any ideas? <laughs> Why Spain? It's a bit random, isn't it? Why did Paul want to go to Spain specifically? I don't think it was because of the beaches um, in Spain. 
Um, and surely there were other places nearer to home where, there was, where, where the gospel had never been heard. Surely there were Gentile towns and villages that Paul could still have fulfilled his ambition um, by going to them instead. Why, why Spain? Now some think it's because Spain, like Britain in the days of the Roman Empire, uh, was considered one of those places, um, the end of the earth. And if that was the reason why Paul went to Spain or wanted to go to Spain, it would show us something of the scale of his ambition, wouldn't it? Um, as I suggested earlier, Paul wanted to take the gospel to the whole world. And places like Spain and Britain were pretty much regarded as being as far as you can go. And that's what his ambition was. And as far as we know, he never got there. Does that mean he was overambitious? Was his ambition foolish? Uh, to even consider something that was so unreasonable, impossible even, even for a man like Paul? Is it foolish to dream big dreams? I don't think so. God loves it when we dream big. As long as we're willing to be content with something smaller, if that's what God wills. It was the same with King David. We started thinking about King David. Of course, uh, we remember that his ambition was to build a temple for God on earth. And he never realised that ambition. It was left for his son to build a temple. And likewise, maybe it was God's will for someone else to take the gospel to Spain and other parts of the world. Someone maybe who had been reached by Paul's preaching and converted through Paul's preaching when he was reaching the Gentiles nearer to home. To God, I think the value of a dream that's ambitious isn't necessarily in the achievement of the goal, because that's God's work anyway, isn't it? It's in the quality of heart that sets out to achieve something and the way we behave along the way. And let's also remember that neither does God measure the scale of our ambitions in the same way that the world does. Uh, for some, a big ambition, even in Christian service, might be to preach to a stadium full of people like Billy Graham did, or something else with great impact. But there are also ambitions which um, we might consider too modest to be called ambitions. Um, like the ambition that Paul refers to and describes it as an ambition in 1 Thessalonians 4. And there we read about the ambition to just work hard and live a quiet life. There are all sorts of ways that we can be ambitious for God. What's your ambition? What's my ambition? There are other things in this passage um, that we could have talked about. Um, certainly the, the bits that we touched on about the, um, the, the importance of financial support for the Lord's work and the Lord's people in other parts. We see a great example of that. Um, we also see something where I could have put a, another category of heart actually for Paul, his, his prayerful heart. He, he certainly recognised the value of prayer and asking the, um, the, 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 the Christians in Rome to join him in his struggle by praying for him. So we, we could have got into all of that, but I've chosen not to do that today. Um, 
I just wanted to focus uh, on what comes out to me most strongly from this passage, which is a little portrait of Paul's heart. And I think the challenge for us to go away with today, if we want a challenge, is just to consider how we measure up in our own hearts against the example that we've been given. So, to summarise, firstly, Paul had a heart which saw everything that he did um, as something for the Lord, even the most mundane things, and he saw it all as a solemn, sacred, priestly duty. And we are all priests, aren't we? We know that. We're called to the highest order of holy service, and that should affect how we see ourselves, and it should affect everything that we do in our day-to-day -day lives, not just when we come to church. Uh, secondly, Paul also had a heart which glorified God. Uh, despite all his achievements, in, in everything he gave God the glory. In his heart, he knew that it was always God working through him. It was always God's work and God's achievements, nothing of, 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 of himself. And, and thirdly, he had an ambitious heart. He dreamed big dreams. Uh, he wanted to achieve more and more, not for himself, not for his vanity, not for his legacy, but just, just for the Lord. And whether we think our dreams are big or small, um, as other people might evaluate them, um, if we're trying to be all that we can for the Lord, and if we're trying to do everything that we um, we can and try to be the kind of people God wants us to be. Um, if that's what's in our hearts, well, maybe that's ambition enough. I'll leave it there.